Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella from Grief Recovery Now podcast. So, so happy you're with us today, wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in your grief process, either something's going on, you know that you're sad, something just happened or something that's coming up from many moons ago, or you're in very, very deep grief, or you're not in grief at all. You're just curious about the grief process or you're thinking about somebody else who just recently lost someone or went through a traumatic event or sudden loss during this COVID time. So much is going on in the grief space and our own feelings. And my goal with this podcast is to get to understand what grief really is and how you can get to the other side of grief, just so much more fully and living a life beyond your wildest dreams. So let's get started. I usually in my podcast, I just talk about some thoughts about what's going on with me and what's coming through me. I always take a little bit of quiet time and just think about the world today and where grief recovery is, what it is, what it isn't. And it is my goal as a advanced grief recovery specialist is to educate the world. I, a lot of you know that I have always been involved in the human potential movement. And I never thought in a million years it would be about grief. My friends would tell me, what, you're getting into grief recovery? He goes, I always thought of you like an Anthony Robbins person, rah, rah, let's go. And you know what's interesting? I am all of that. But yet grief recovery, that recovery part is what got me. What grief recovery is not. What grief recovery is not. I am not a support group. I don't run support groups. I'm not a therapist, a grief therapist. I'm not a therapist in general. That has a beautiful place in everybody's life in their grief process. What grief recovery is, is something to get you to the other side of grief, getting from unresolved to resolve, from incomplete to completion in your grief. Most of all, in our relationships, whatever we're grieving, it could be a person, place, or thing, or an experience, the trauma, a belief system. I know myself, a lot of you have heard the story. I had a business for 26 years. I left it. I sold it. It was a beautiful thing, but it was a massive change. Very, not quickly, because I had to go through the selling process, the emotional process. About a year and a half, two years into selling my company, I was started grieving and I was grieving uh, what I, the known, because I was in a lot of unknown after, even though I owned the company for 26 years, I had been in the business for 35 years at least. And I didn't know this was going to happen, but all of a sudden 
I started grieving the loss of my business, the continuity. I was from Chicago. I was living in Chicago. Now I'm living in LA, total different cultures. And what was great is like, I got to recognize what it was and I couldn't do it by myself. And it's so interesting because I started, I heard about grief recovery, the grief recovery method. And I said, that really interests me. And what I learned about it, it was part of, you know, the human potential arena. And I learned more and more. I went to a seminar, I got certified and I got to do my own grief recovery. And I cannot believe where I went from there. So I can, I'll do another podcast, a solo podcast on this, but I'm so excited about what's going on today. And I work in one-on-one and in a group setting, and there's seven to eight week, I don't want to say courses, but like little seminars that we go through a seven, eight week process while I do the work and we get together for about one hour or two hours every week, the person has to do the work and you have to do the work in grief recovery. So One day we'll get into it more, but um, I want to get to our guest, which I'm so excited. As you know, that we have a lot of different guests on the podcast, and I believe there's all different roads to grief recovery. So I bring people from all over who are artists, writers, um, using their own special way, who've also used even mediums and psychics and all that to communicate with their loved ones. So I believe there's all paths to go to recovery. But the one I have chosen that I think is so powerful is the grief recovery movement. And I, in this podcast, I've had a couple advanced grief recovery specialists on the show, and I will continue to do so. And today we have one with us, uh, my peer, someone I admire, someone who has such a special, how can I say, purpose in life that transcends all the goodness that life has to offer and what she wants for you, our listeners. So I know her a little bit. I know her heart because of what she's doing now, but I'm going to get to know her, learn about her too, just as you will. So let me share her with you. But first, I'll tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Heather D. Horton Esquire, is an advanced grief recovery method specialist and workplace grief coach. She empowers lawyers and law students to identify the root cause of their personal and professional challenges and learn how to manage their emotions. The result is responding versus reacting to life events and circumstances. In 2005, after tragically losing her mother and surviving Hurricane Katrina, Heather's priorities and perspective on life shifted. She has dedicated the rest of her life to being the change she wants to see in her world, as Gandhi would say, which I love my favorite, favorite quote. Heather is the founder of the H Squared Group LLC a location-independent grief recovery coaching and support practice. She is also an ICF-credentialed coach, certified professional diversity coach, and certified emotions mentor. Heather practiced law as a tax attorney and eventually served as an associate area counsel and director. HQ Operations of Small Business Self-Employed Division Council HQ with the IRS Office of Chief Counsel. Heather worked in the federal government for almost two decades before starting her current practice. Heather is a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, currently residing in Washington, D.C. She earned a Bachelor of Science in Accounting from Southern University and A&M College, a Juris Director and Bachelors of Civil Law from Louisiana State University Law Center, and a Master of Laws in Taxation from Georgetown University Law Center. 
Please help me welcome Heather D. Horton. Welcome. I want to clap. Hi, so Charlene. Hi. So glad you're here today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm oh, excited are- to be here. Oh, I'm excited you're here too. Well, how are you feeling today? I'm getting on Grief Recovery Now podcast. I, I feel great. I'm excited and I want to share how we can change our world and make it a better place. I look forward to the conversation. Sounds good to me. Now, how in the heck did you get into grief recovery work? And before you answer that, can you tell me a little bit about your grief experience? You know, everything from the Hurricane Katrina, the loss of your mother tragically, and some other, you know, I know you've been around a little bit, so we've all had some grief. Can you share a little bit about what it was like? Yeah. um, Well, in 2005, I was involved in a car accident and I was in the car as well. And my mother was with me, but we, it was a single car accident and she passed away the day after the accident and I survived, but I didn't have life-threatening injuries, but I had injuries that were going to take a while to recover from. So imagine having to deal with the loss of your mother and recover from, I had fractured neck. I had a fractured right thumb just lots of cuts and bruises, just a lot to deal with. And this all happened in my first year of law, first year of practice as a lawyer. It really kind of just shook me, humbled me. Um, I didn't really know what I would do, but I knew I had, you know, I had like three months to wear the C collar in order for my neck to, in, in order for the vertebrae to heal. And so I just took that time to center myself and, and figure out what I would do going forward. And eventually I went back to work. I went back to work in, it was August 8th, 2005. And if anybody remembers August, 2005 in New Orleans, which was where I was living on the 29th, 27th or 29th of October of August, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. I'd literally been back at work two weeks. Wasn't even going to work full days at that point because I was about to enter into physical therapy for my neck. And yeah, then it was another six weeks before I could get back into the city to figure out what happened. At that point, the resiliency that I'd built up already, it was kind of like, I don't want to be here. There's nothing else left for me. My mother was my best friend. I didn't think there was anything left for me in Louisiana. My, my father was still living and he's still alive today, but my parents divorced when I was a junior in college. I have one sister and she was not living there. So I just felt like there's nothing left for me in Louisiana. And since I worked for the Internal Revenue Service, they're located all across the country. I decided, you know what, I'm just going to move somewhere else, make a new life, not realizing that moving is a grief grief experience. So what I didn't realize is when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona in 2005, had never lived there before, only knew one person that I just met maybe a month before I moved there. Yeah, just went there seeking a new way of thinking because I'm an introvert. And so I like, I, I needed to be alone with my thoughts when I, I didn't realize the magnitude of that because it really took a toll on me. I had to recreate my identity from the perspective of being a daughter without a mother anymore, but also moving and leaving the community that I'd known for 33 years. I wanted to, it, it's almost like the definition of that one of the definitions of grief in the grief recovery handbook, the conflicting feelings that we have around a particular situation is grief. On the one hand, I was excited about going to something new, but on the other hand, I hadn't, I hadn't grieved what I was leaving, which was 
I knew where, you know, where to go get my hair done. I knew where to go to church. I knew the grocery stores and just everything about my whole life. I had to recreate that. Um, and it really took a toll on me, but I still hadn't found grief recovery at that point. It would be probably, that was 2005. It would probably be another 11 years before I sort of figured out that I was still grieving. Yeah. And then it took a couple of years after that before I actually found grief recovery. Grief recovery came into my life after I became a certified professional diversity coach, which taught me a lot about who I was. It helped me to realize what my values were. I was able to re refigure out what my identity was as a motherless daughter and as a person in the world, because I was always, after I became a lawyer, I was always just moving up to the next thing, moving up to the next thing. And I realized at some point that I was only, that wasn't who I was and that wasn't what I wanted. It was just a model that had been presented to me, but that becoming a coach helped me to realize that I've got to help myself first before I can help other people. That was one of the huge ahas in that coaching program. I had been wearing a mask forever. I don't know. I think that comes culturally, but also as we gain more intellect, I think it just kind of the mask gets thicker. But 2015 is when my relationship with my dad presented me with, okay, I've got to figure out something here because he's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But every time we get together, there's tension. And I thought, well, I don't really dislike him, but every time I was around him, I got very angry. Didn't know where that came from, but I was just tired of experiencing it. And one day I was actually looking online to find a way to market my grief coaching practice because at that point I had become a grief coach too. And I found this podcast called The 50 Shades of Grief. It was by a woman who is a grief recovery method specialist in the UK, but it was 13 episodes. John James was on there. I think maybe Ed Owens. I know for sure Laura Jack was on there, but there was a woman who had a fitness business on there as well in her interview, which again, it was a 60 minute podcast each episode. And that usually is not the length of a podcast that I would listen to, but it just so grabbed my attention that I couldn't stop listening. And the woman who had the gym talked about how grief recovery helped her with her relationship with her dad. So immediately while I'm listening to this, I Google griefrecoverymethod.com. And the first thing that I see on there is, oh, they have a certification program. Okay. So I look to see where the next certification program would be near me still while I'm listening to this podcast. And it was like, this was like July, 2018. And the next one was like February, 2019 in Richmond, Virginia, which is not that far from me. And I was like, well, I can't wait for that. So I immediately found the closest training certification training course to me, which was in Connecticut, had never been to Connecticut, but I bought an Amtrak ticket from DC and I went there. That happened in about a matter of five or six days because I had to have whatever this is that this woman had that changed her life. Hadn't read the grief recovery handbook or anything. And so it was, it was a life-changing experience. That four days changed my life. I knew what relationship I was going to work on. And I was able to complete the pain after 45 years of holding on to the anger from my parents' divorce. And when I say, you know, that may sound impossible to undo 45 years of, of anger and pain in four days. But I was actually tested a few days later because the week after I completed the grief recovery certification, which was January 24th, 2018, I broke my ankle on August 2nd, 2018. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So 
who was supposed to take care of me or who was there to take care of me? My dad. My dad flew from Louisiana to my my condo in Washington, D.C. And yeah, I literally put the tools to work. And I, I have to say from that moment on, our relationship has just done a 180. I mean, I'm at the point now where I wish that I had done this earlier because my dad's in his 70s. And with the way the world is and the way people are dying. And honestly, in about a couple of months, it will be a year since I've seen him. So seen him in person, I should say we've, we've zoomed, but that's a long time and nobody knows what's going to happen today or tomorrow. But I just wish I had done this earlier or found this earlier so that we could have time to cultivate our relationship because I almost feel like a little girl when I'm around him which is what a girl is supposed to feel like around her dad. So, but I didn't know what that was for a very long time. I'm excited that grief recovery gave it to me. And that's why I'm so passionate about this because so many people are hurting in the world. And it's literally like we are giving them their lives back if they go through this process because it's a toolkit for life. Most definitely. Now let's go back because we're in the recovery portion of your life. Can we just backtrack a little? Because some people are experiencing what you experience in the now. While they weren't at Hurricane Katrina, they may have had a similar experience with a car accident or any kind of sudden loss with their own pain. Everything comes in at once. I am just so amazed at your mother tragically dying the next day after the accident, your own injuries, you starting a new job, going into a whole new world. And then Hurricane Katrina came. What was that like? Can you get back to the feeling tone of where you were and the, oh, you just splat like, and I say like a bug on a windshield, the bug on the windshield of life while you're driving. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was just sort of in a space of disbelief that this actually even happened. I couldn't focus on anything. The only thing that that kept coming into my mind is I can't believe she's gone. I can't believe she's gone because it was one minute I was saying, Hey, I love you. 15 minutes later, we're in the accident. And I think when I got to the hospital and I came to, I kept asking everyone that would come in the room. How's my mother? How's my mother? Nope. People would come in, but they would never come back and report. And I'm, I'm actually probably in and out because of pain meds they're giving me. So it's, it was just a lot, but, but I actually got to say goodbye to her. You did. What was that like? Um, Surreal because, and I will say it was surreal because I know she had to be hooked up to all types of equipment. I didn't see any of that. Well, you didn't see any of that. I didn't see any of that. What I saw was a picture of her like the last time I saw her, but she was just laying there sleeping. And I know that that was just an act of God because I probably wouldn't have been able to let her go, but I was able to say, I'm going to be okay. I feel like you're leaving me, but I'm going to be okay. And I need you to know that so you can rest. Did you know that from your heart that you were going to be okay? Did you know spiritually or whatever, an intuitive sense that all is well, but this, you know, it's the most sacred thing and horrible thing at the same time, someone transitioning. Again, yeah. Totally. I guess in my heart, I knew what I was saying, but in my head, I didn't realize what I was saying. And when it came to literally like right after I said that to her, it was probably a few minutes and then she passed away. And so, yeah, that whole, because we were actually out of town. So that whole ride home back to Louisiana was just, it was just in disbelief. I I just couldn't believe that 
I'd never be able to touch her again or, or hug her or anything. So it was, it was horrible. You were out of town. Where were you? Yeah, we we were actually, um, my family, my extended family likes to travel to graduations or celebrations of anybody in our family. And our last cousin was graduating from, he was getting his master's degree. We were in Atlanta and we went to the graduation. Everything was great. The day after the graduation, we did, we caravaned actually. People drove in different, you know, different families drove in different vehicles. And I was in the vehicle with my uncle and aunt, two of their grandkids and my mother and I. And what I didn't share earlier was when we got ready to leave, I was very sleepy. So I was like, I'll take the last four hours because it was about an eight hour drive. And my, I, I just told my uncle, yeah, you start. And so what happened is he actually fell asleep at the wheel mm-hmm. and I felt like we were drifting. And so I woke up because I was sitting in the front seat. And so when I alerted him to that fact, he overcorrected. We flipped six or seven times and we wound up just on the right side. The, the van just ended or stopped on the right side. And so I don't know how I got out of the vehicle. We had to, be, we were in a very rural area because we had to be airlifted to the hospital, to a hospital, I should say. But yeah, it was a very traumatic experience. Even talking about it now, I don't, I don't even know how, how I made it through that, honestly. But I know it was a spiritual thing, but also it was a very physical thing. And I wished, oh my God, my, my life probably would have been different, better or more if I had grief recovery, because you know, that's what we say there, but I had no idea about grief recovery. But I actually, in looking for resources after the accident, because I had lots of time on my hands, I really couldn't do anything with a sea collar on, I couldn't drive. I think I found the grief recovery handbook, but I said, there's no such thing. And I refused to read it. Yeah. People, they don't believe that could happen. You can even talk to therapists. They go grief recovery, but it's more than just recovery. Right. It It is. Yeah. There's, there's an opening and a, a filter you have to walk through and a filter. And before you walk through that filter, your, your life is filtered by that filter or you're moving through in that filter and what we do is get you on the other side of that filter of life, of loss, fear, trauma, all that stuff with an understanding and a fullness that helps ground you, ground, grounded me for sure, where I could live a life beyond my wildest dreams without yeah. that. You know, I didn't even realize I was walking through or not even like the filter. I was walking in it. It was just weird. I can't explain it, except it's just freeing. And tell me about, yeah. okay, all this happened you can believe like grief recovery, it ain't going to happen because you're right in that grief, which is a, such a natural state to be in. Right. And so when the time is right, you know, the universe, I believe, gives us messages that we can either accept it or not accept it. Right. And then you got into Hurricane Katrina. Were you in the midst of it? Did you have to abandon your home or? Yes, uh, I was living downtown New Orleans. Literally, I could see the New Orleans Convention Center from my balcony. So that's how deep inside I literally was near the Greater New Orleans Bridge. So yeah, I I had to evacuate. My parents lived like 80 miles away, further above sea level. So literally what I did was, and what was interesting is usually I would move things away from the window and make sure that if a glass broke, there was no, there would be nothing that would be destroyed in my, my apartment. But because I was so fragile from wearing the neck brace for three months, I couldn't move anything. I barely could pack a bag to get in the car and drive back to Baton Rouge. So I had to go and shelter in place, actually at my mother's home. 
Wow. So that's, that's really a tragedy. And tell me about now with your father. I know many daughters, even sons have issues with their father. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to our listeners and myself on how grief recovery has helped you with your relationship with your father? What where were you behind that filter to getting to the other side of that filter? What was going on beforehand? Did it affect your relationships with men? Oh, yeah, with sure. separation? Tell me about that. What I've come to realize is that when my parents divorced, I didn't like the fact that my, my dad left my mother and it really made me angry. And I thought, well, we don't need you. I'm going to take care of my mother and I'm going to make sure that the life you created for her is still the life that she's going to experience, whether you're here or not. And I just took that on myself, which I probably shouldn't have done because one of the things we learn in grief recovery is the relationship is between the two people. You can't compare. If you're not part of the relationship, you don't really know what happened. So, but yeah, there was, my dad was also really, he worked a lot when I was younger. And when you're a child, you don't realize that the work that your parent is doing is for your benefit. But as a child, you don't know what a provider is or a protector. You just know he's not present. And so I held that against him for a very long time. And so with all of that, he wasn't really emotionally available. And then you all of a sudden leave my mother. After 22 years, I'm a junior in college. Like I knew that relationship wasn't that great, but y'all have been together this long. Why would you separate after 21 years? That just didn't sit well with me. And, you know, I was, as I said, a junior in college. So I was creating it or experiencing life on my own terms. And so I was, my opinions about things started to change from what had been instilled in me from with my parents. Like I said, I just continued to push forward because I was like, nobody's going to stop me. I'm going to take care of my mother and we're going to be fine. But that anger that I had for my father showed up in all of my personal relationships. I didn't, if, if somebody presented something that I didn't think was correct or fair, I cut them off just like I cut off my father. And what really happened, and I didn't realize this until after I left my job before I decided to open my business, I had a supervisor that wound up actually being emotionally unavailable like my father and just not somebody I could deal with. But because I had run from that relationship, that key male relationship, I couldn't manage or I didn't see any way out of that situation, but to leave, to leave when I'm 18 years into my career, who does that? But because I had in my mind that I was going to have my own business, I had been exposed to different things that I could do. I was like, I'm not going to let that ruin my career. It's almost like one of those weeble wobble dolls. Somebody knocked me over, I swung back and I did something else, but I never dealt with the root cause. Well, it was a good thing for you to start your own business. And it was like the, the launching pad to it. You're either pushed by pain or pulled by a vision, right? You were pushed by pain and we yeah. have those short-term energy relievers yeah. that mask the grief, but also I believe there are long-term energy relievers, like starting yeah. a whole new career. And also the filters I'm talking about and what we attract in our life. You attracted mm-hmm. a boss. Yep. I attracted I men like him mm-hmm. because- I felt that was the norm. And so not that I sought them out, but they would find me, if that makes sense. (laughs) No mistake there. I remember because I've been in sobriety for a long time, for 32 years, I was clean and sober. But I remember way back when, when I would go to therapy and type of people I picked in my life 
relationships, let's say, for example, there'll be a hundred men out there that I had a choice from, right? All of them healthy and living a life and, you know, manageable, fun, vital lives. What do I pick? I pick the one who has drug and alcohol problems, emotional problems, (laughs) no mistake. But the more I got sober and start letting the filters down so I can have some clear thinking, I start meeting people who don't smoke, who don't drink, don't do drugs or anything. I'm like, what's changed me? Yes. Yeah. And I'm a metaphysician. There's more to meets the eye. There's what we see on the surface and our surface mind. And then mm-hmm. what's going on beyond our surface mind energetically. And it's all energy. Grief is energy. Happiness right. is energy. Trauma is energy. It's great that you've had this revelation, realizations. And so how beautiful is that? And tell me a little bit about, let's change the subject for a minute about the microcosm and the macrocosm of what you're trying to, like you're an African-American woman. You've worked in companies where you were the only African-American. You're in Washington, D.C. One of the movements in our world right now is Black Lives Matter. We've got Me Too movement, LGBT. But because you're African-American, I want to ask you about that and the grief, the energy of grief that's going on with all of that and masking maybe of the anger. Not that the anger is not appropriate because it is. But can you speak to us about that? What I will say is... We, we can't, as people of color, begin to take on the grief that's going on in the world right now because we're still dealing with our past. And until we clear out that pain or complete the pain around our past, which has been seeping through our lives since our birth, I think that's why we're seeing the acting out from all parties, not just you know any of these movements, from all parties, because hearts are hurting. People think they're losing. They can't, they don't even have the capacity to figure out what other options are available. It's just, I'm not getting this or I'm losing this. And now I've got to act out. And it's almost like the grief recovery methods when we're, when we're going through the certification, it says that between the ages of two and three, 75% of your default coping mechanisms are just set in stone by the time you're three years old. So imagine because we're not, we may be talking, but we're talking very little between two and three, but most of what we're doing is observing. So I'm not a scientist, but I totally believe that 75% of our coping coping mechanisms are set in stone at that point. By the time we're 15, we're walking in, we're talking and we're experiencing things. 95% of our coping mechanisms are set in stone. And unless and until we do something that's intentionally different or we learn how to manage our emotions, every time something happens when we're an adult, We act out like a child. And I am a living witness that that's what I did. I mean, I honestly kind of saw myself in an out-of-body experience, which is why I looked to grief recovery to help me with my relationship with my dad, because I stepped outside of my body while I was acting out. And I thought, what is, who are you? This is not what you want to do. Why is this happening? I mean, it's happening even unconsciously. And I thought that is not the person that I want to be in the world. That's not the person I want to project. I honestly got tired of being upset with my dad and grief recovery was the answer. Yeah. It's that saying you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's times when you have that psychic change and you have to do the work. There's a psychic change doesn't happen. Like somebody hits you over the head and you're a different person. You do have to be proactively resisting old behaviors, but it's, 
but it's like at the beginning, you'll get anxiety and uncomfortableness, but you just hopefully have the guidance. Right. Well, to and be it's able to do the next right thing. Yeah. It's, it's, we in this world, if anything is going to change, we have got to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because until we get uncomfortable as we experience, I mean, as we go through these actions in grief recovery, it's uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable for me to look at the work that we do in grief recovery. But I'm going to tell you on the other side of that was so much freedom, so much freedom. So in answer to your question about the Black Lives Matter and how people deal with that, you can't begin to process that. You can't even take that on until you've dealt with your past, because when that happened last summer, that's all I was processing because I have the toolkit. And when things happen, I experience my emotions. I feel them. I talk to some people, uh, someone that I can trust and share exactly what it is I'm feeling. And the emotions. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and I will say this, even in January 6th, when the insurrection happened, I live in Washington, D.C. I live 10 blocks from where that happened. And it felt like somebody had attacked my front yard because I literally walk the Capitol grounds. That's my exercise since we're quarantined. And it's usually not many people there, but to see what was happening, it really just disturbed my spirit on a lot of levels. But again, that was all I was processing. I had processed my past already. So I could take that on. I mean, and it really took a toll on me because I would find myself the next day after that happened, just bursting into tears at any given moment. And it's almost like I felt when the George Floyd thing happened. There are people in this world that don't want me to breathe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is painful, especially when I've never done anything to them. Yes. And it, the only reason that it is, is because of some learned behavior that somebody passed on to them because they were hurt. Yes. And what's great about you is that, or anyone who does grief recovery work or have gone through, you know, psychic changes like you do with your relationships, you live life on life's terms. You know, having the insurrection or whatever you call it at mm-hmm. the Capitol, I mean, that's a new trauma. Oh, yeah. And like you said, it's like almost in your backyard. It's a place where you walk and you feel safe and you do, right. you know, exercise. And this is your home. And then you experience it because you were both re- grief recovery specialists. We have the tools, but when you're in it, you got to feel it. Oh, yeah. And it's not, it's not all, all, it's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it. It's something good. Candy, seize candy or something. It's not a box of seize candy. It is, it's very hard. I mean, and, but the other thing is, is I let myself feel those emotions because what I've come to realize is if I start to tear up and I stop it, it burns. But if I let it flow, it just flows. I call tears are watering your soul. Yes. It's a miracle towards healing. That's what I say. Yeah, I love because that. if you're not crying, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's happening in the moment and you're processing something. It's such mm-hmm. a natural, biological, healthy reaction to loss, trauma, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the thing with what I, what I love about grief recovery, though, is when you do the work, you know, you can work with somebody who can't even talk about the loss or the trauma without sobbing. And then you right. talk to them a little bit after the, you know, they've gone through the work and they can talk about it without 
crying. And right. I'm not saying it's never going to come up, but then you can speak about it. Yes. Help another through it, or even just help yourself through it and going, wow, good for you. It's really mm-hmm. a, the, the act of self-love to me is doing this kind of work. And I wish everyone can have the desire, like you did, an opportunity where you're like, you know, being introduced to re- grief recovery first, the 50 shades of grief, mm-hmm. and then looking at something in your other computer or phone or whatever for grief recovery. And then all of a sudden it's like looking at a class and going, Oh my God, it's in my hometown almost, but it's too far away. Let me go to this place that I have to take a long train ride to. That's so cool to hear because you, I believe there's going to be a turning point if you're open to it, that, the universe, they say what, I don't know, they say mystics, we're all mystics. And the mystic is somebody who's a wise man who also is in tune with some inner wisdom, this divine intelligence that flows through us. But sometimes there's so much going on, so many filters in the way that you can't be an opening for it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes pain is the opening when you're open to the unknown. And so when they say we're all mystics, A mystic is someone who knows the universe is always talking to them. A mystic is someone who knows that the universe is always talking to them. And what I mean by that is you seeing or or listening to the 50 shades of grief, looking at the grief, oh, what's that book? You know, Mm -hmm. following the roadmap. These are little roadmaps that you have no idea where to go. I had no idea before I came a grief recovery specialist. Someone said, Hey, this is going on. Why don't you look into that? I was like, okay, it sounds reasonable <laughs> enough. And I was in the allowing and what are my next steps in life's were? I was working on some father issues and regard to relationships and all that. And then all of a sudden it came. So please, please, if I were to tell anybody and you could probably agree with me, pay attention. Mm-hmm to little roadmap signs and just follow through on them. You won't be disappointed. Even when you feel like do contrary action sometimes like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Or sometimes you don't even know what you're looking for. And then something comes up like, let me take a listen to it. 60 minutes. Okay. I normally don't do a 60 minute podcast. Let me try. Let me just at least listen to it for five minutes and see what happens. And then it's six minutes and then it's 10 minutes and then, you know, 60 minutes has passed. So I love that story about that. So thank you so much. Anything else you want to talk about? I know you were in a law firm just to keep going on the the Black Lives Movement and maybe some racism you experienced in your life when you were in the law firm and you were the only African-American in there. And I think before we had talked, there could be a bit a sense of separation. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I want to say for the record, I wasn't the only one in the law firm. And when I say law firm, I worked for a federal agency, but we were the only tax law firm, the largest tax law firm in the federal government. But I was the only African-American in our headquarters office of my division. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't say that I experienced racism, but what I will say is I didn't use my voice every time that I had the opportunity to. I... I don't want to say mask, but I suppress my feelings. And why is that? Because I wanted to conform. I didn't want to bring any other attention to myself besides the fact that I was already a woman of color. I was a woman and a person of color. That's like, that. I don't know if you've ever seen this TED talk on intersectionality, but black women are the only gender 
with two, I don't want to say strikes against us, but two things that make us minority, a double minority. We're a woman and we're a person of color. Whereas you, you are white, but you are a woman. But there's only, that's, that's only one thing versus because you're still of the, and I don't like to use this word, dominant culture, because that's, that's going away. <laughs> but um, nobody's the dominant culture anymore. But yeah, so I mean, the, there were a lot of days where I had to figure out whether I wanted to be Black or be a woman. Interesting. You know, that's another podcast we should talk about. Talk about it. It's true. We all yeah. have that. And in the, the spirit of a sense of separation, I don't care if you're Black, White, whatever. Sometimes mm-hmm. we all feel a little separate, a uniqueness with, you know, we have our uniqueness with the capital U, which is right. bright. And we're all shiny examples. We're like snowflakes. We're all, you know, different, but we also have our humanity that we have in common. Right. But that small U of uniqueness where we feel less than, or there's a secret or underlying grief or trauma that we feel responsible for, or ashamed of, or whatever. So that gives you that, at least for me, and I can, I've heard this from other people, which enhances that sense of separation and not belonging. And I think that could be um, a grief issue. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. And false sense of I'm bad or... I can't bring my full self to work. That's what I thought on a lot of days. I can't let them see that side of me. Or I will say this, I had my whole right side was pretty much cut and bruised, scarred after the accident. And I've never said this before in public, but I intentionally made sure like even on a 95 degree day that I never wore a sleeveless outfit. I always had on a jacket because I didn't want that to be conversation. I didn't want to have to explain that because I felt like that had nothing to do with my, my performance, my work, I showed up. So I didn't want that to be a point of conversation, but it wasn't me being me. Were you ashamed of it or what was going on? No, I, this, it's interesting because when I worked in Phoenix, when I, after the accident, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, it's hot out there. I wasn't trying to hide anything and people accepted me. Nobody even said anything about it, but there was the, this perception about DC and headquarters and it was all about being professional. And so all I wanted them to see was that I could do the job, So you which was, oh, God. yeah, which was, um, I would say hard enough being the only black person, black professional in that office. I didn't want to, I I felt like, wow, I have this opportunity. I mean, I look back at it now and I wish I had done things differently, but I just wanted to, wanted to see that I could bring 110% to the table. We didn't need to talk about my scars. So you couldn't talk about your humanity. I had a friend of mine, like the humanity of, of just life happenings, right? Mm -hmm. Living life on life's terms and, you know, just living it and showing it. And then, and you want to conform to their, the, the consciousness of the culture. Right. So I understand corporate America and all that and how you could be perceived as less than can she be promotable? What other problems she could have neck problems in on? Are we going to have days off? You know, this is all the things that you think they're thinking about you. Is she going to be less than we thought? she? Well, I felt like they thought that about me before I came there. So that's another reason why I couldn't show my scars. That, that, that was, that was the perception in, uh, out the gate, really. Isn't that something what we, you know, the stuff that we carry as we go. And a friend of mine, which 
totally, I use this all the last couple of years. And I go, okay, remember this, Charlene, you will never rise above your humanity. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you mean I can't be like Gandhi, Mother Teresa, even though they have their own humanity based on the stories I've read about them. It's like, I'll never rise above being human through my, you know, some things that don't serve me well still. And I'm opinionated on this and that, you know, I'll work on those things as I go, but I'm a human being and having a human experience. And as you are, you know, as I can see, since you've gone through grief recovery and your own special work Mm -hmm. and also serving others, which I love. So thank you for sharing all that. And before we end today, I'd like to talk to you about, we talked about earlier because of our mission in life, there's the micro and the macro. Can you talk about a little bit about what you're doing now? That sounds really exciting. Yes. Thank you. I actually have done some forgiveness around the legal profession, and I'm now going back into those spaces, even with law students, to help them to learn how to manage their emotions because the legal profession is declining. Lawyers are committing suicide. They're looking to drugs, alcohol, substance abuse, all of our STIRBs, which is what grief recovery calls STIRBs. Can you talk about what STIRBs is? Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a short-term energy relieving behaviors, things we do when we don't want to feel. They are not, they may not be bad in and of themselves, but when we do them to avoid feeling they can be, they can actually have long-term effects. They may give us short-term relief, but they have long-term effects. And so these things are starting to affect the legal profession. And lawyers are typically people that carry other people's burdens, but they don't deal with their own and they don't realize that they are human. And right now I'm involved in a pilot, the first pilot in a law school to add coaching to their their body of work that they're experiencing during their, their law school years. And so it's a dream of mine to expand that to the six historically black college and university law schools across the country, because I feel like I would be giving back to be able to share the experiences that I have had and provide people with an outlet to learn how to manage their emotions before they get their Juris Doctorate, before they open their law firm, because it's going to just, it's going to sustain the legal profession It's going to make them better people. It's going to change our world. And we have to start seeing people from our hearts and not our heads. It's not about what we see either. It's about the heart. And when your heart's clouded, I feel like, here's the other thing I want to say. I feel like everybody's talking about mental health, mental health, mental health, and mindfulness. Well, what they fail to realize is, but they say this, but they don't realize what they're saying. They'll say, you've got to identify your emotions and learn how to manage them because that's one of the six dimensions of the lawyer well-being definition. But what they're not doing is, or what they do is they say it's the emotions first, but they go straight to mental. If you don't manage your emotions, it's going to cloud your heart. And then all of that has nowhere else to go, but to your head. And that's when I feel mental illness kicks in. That's not the first thing that happens. And we're not treating the root. We're not treating the first thing. We're treating the symptoms, which all that is, is a bandaid. That's going to come off eventually because I don't know if you know, but I know all band-aids that I've worn, they eventually come off. And so if we could fix the root cause, which is figuring out people's hearts, I think at that point we can reroute the trajectory of individual lives and change the world in, you know, in a way that I want my grandchildren to be able to look back and say, wow, the world was this in 2016, 
But going forward, we can see so much change and progress and that we are putting the right thing first. Right. I know before I started my business and thank you so much, dad is a great thought. And I'm so glad you're on this mission. I remember when I start first started my business and I had it for 26 years. I remember I brought myself and I saw things that personally affected me with relationships affecting my work. You can't just leave your personal life Mm -mm. at the door. It comes with you. And thank God I was willing to learn and grow and people push you to grow when you Mm -hmm. own a company. And then when you talk about the attorneys or whatever, I needed to deal with the root cause and it's painful. It's like heart surgery. Oh yeah. But once you get that heart surgery done, you're good. So it's like that hope to get to the other side, but you have to also be in the moment of the root right. cause. And so right. that's the uncomfortable place. In. And after a while, the uncomfortable places like pain, you're not pain, you're experiencing pain. So sometimes we take all that stuff personally, like grief. Oh, I'm a grief person. You know, I'm just like, you identify as the grief, but no, you're experiencing grief. Like anything else, it flows through you once you know you're right. in experience and not in the identity. So, and that's more solid and more like oh, affirming. And I believe in affirmations. If I keep affirming, I'm grief, I'm grief, I'm grief. Instead of I'm experiencing grief, I'm experiencing depression. It's a whole different psychic change. And I know right. that you know that, and that's what it'll be great that um, people won't identify with emotions as them. That yeah. or if they make a mistake, they're not the mistake. They're right. they made a mistake and not just compounded, or you see it in politics today. Mm-hmm. They will not admit they made a mistake. No, and that's the that that acknowledgement is the first step. Right. And if and, we can't get past that, and it's humbling. And we're not in a society, society that wants to be vulnerable. Humility. Humility is our superpower, and people need to realize that. If yeah. we were more vulnerable. We wouldn't be in some of the situations we're in. No, and it's looking at the facts and then we can go on and move on. And humility is just looking at the facts of life so you can move on. And if you right. don't have facts, you're never going to move on. So on that note, any last thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, a lot of people have been saying, you know, I wish 2020 was over or we wish we hadn't had the last four years of the president. But I will say this, if we had never had that, everything, none of this would have bubbled up to the surface. We wouldn't really understand what grief is and how important it is to know how to manage your emotions. So take every moment to live in the present. The precious present. Yeah, because you can't get that time back. But if you take a small step towards your goal every day, you're winning. Mm -hmm. You're making a difference. But if you wait for time to heal, nothing's going to change. They say time heals all wounds. Not really. Do the work. I mean, it'll, you know, you may forget about it, but you're still living in it in your day-to-day actions. That subconscious, right. That comes right. out of conscious when you least expect it, that hitting the back of the knees or the punch in the gut. When all of a sudden, when you, like you said, the reaction you had with your father, mm-hmm. it's like, Jesus, you wish you could just pull it back. Right. And never has said it, but you couldn't help yourself. There's yeah. no way unless you did the work and, you know, thank God you had that glimmer of recognition that something's up. Yeah. But I feel like yoga actually did that for me. Restorative yoga. It changed my life. It cleared my head, but it made me also realize that there was a gaping hole in my heart and I had to figure out how to fix that. And grief recovery was, it was the, the stopgap. Yeah. And you know, when you're in yoga, you're in that quiet, you have that space where the mm-hmm. revelations can come in and 
which I love that you do that. So that's one of your tips for our listeners, the restorative. Oh yeah, restorative yoga all day. That's my favorite <laughs> yoga. Like, restorative yoga, if you're not sure what it is, it's easy. yeah. You could do it. It's like long little stretches, beautiful for, what's your experience with it? And then we'll end the show. I just felt totally relaxed. I mean, things that hurt me within one hour, it was like they didn't exist anymore. And my mind was clear. Literally, I got to the point where I don't know what the, the asana is, but it's when you're, I think it's tabletop, when you're standing and your body is so relaxed, like if a, a strong wind came, it would blow you over. That's just how relaxed you are standing. When I got to that point, I thought there's no stopping me, but I have to figure out how to move forward because there's a hole in my heart. But right now I'm totally present, but I need something else because although I'm present, I'm st- I still feel empty. But grief recovery changed all of that. Great. I love that. And you could see it in the glow. You know, this is a video. I'm looking at you in video <laughs> audio program. It's great to see you and the light, the shining light that you are. So thank you so much. And when you start growing in this new endeavor mm-hmm. with uh, the law, what was it called? The attorney space or what is it? Yeah, called? law students and lawyers and law firms. Law students and lawyers. Let us know, you know, some of the outpicturing and successes that come through it that I know you'll have. So thank you yeah. so much for being on the show, Heather. Yes. Thank you for inviting me, Charlene. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Yeah. And um, Heather has her podcast too. So I will keep you posted. And so on the, we'll have links for Heather on the podcast. So we are on all the uh, podcast platforms. So glad you're here today. And by the way, I was looking, we're all over the world. It's so much fun. And my goal is to be worldwide. And yes, while this is a grief recovery movement, we want you all to go through and joy and love and some excited anticipation of what could be, even if you're in extreme grief mm-hmm. and everything above and everything below, or just know that. And if you're not like, I'm not grieving, hey, check out some, you know, grieving could be some feeling of incompleteness, some unresolved issues. You have no idea. Right. Let us help you. So my goal is to, you know, bring people towards Heather if they so resonate with her to maybe work with her as a grief support specialist. We do Zoom now yes. because of what's happening with the pandemic. And what's great is that the pandemic brought us doing more things online and doing Zoom calls so we can reach people who are unreachable, like maybe 100 miles away where they can't come visit us. So anyway, so all is good, all is well, you can be in pain, and that's okay, too. And I know the devastation grief can cause you not minimizing it whatsoever. Just know we've been there, we just want you to know that we want to be beacons of light for you in our heart, we want to be a heart with ears. That's our little uh, one of our little uh, sayings at Grief Recovery Method. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. See you next time. Thanks again, Heather. Peace and love. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.